0: Did you know, based on the most recent Statistics Canada report, potatoes are the largest vegetable crop grown in Canada, accounting for 27.2% of all vegetable receipts. Total production was estimated at 4.8 million metric tons. Within this stat, Canada is a net exporter of potato and potato products. In the 2019-2020 crop year, exports of Canadian potatoes and potato products were estimated at $1.93 billion. This podcast is brought to you by Denton's, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hey, everyone, welcome to the Denton's Agribusiness podcast series. My name is Chris Young. Just a reminder to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to, and don't forget to check out the results of our first ever AgTech pitch competition that we just hosted. We'll be featuring our presenting companies throughout the next few months. So make sure you subscribe to get notified whenever we have new content. In today's podcast, I want to focus on a great Canadian potato company. That's also a great client of the firm. The Little Potato Company has been a leading farmer of creamer potatoes since 1996. Coveted by foodies and chefs alike, their proprietary colorful creamers are available in produce sections across U.S. and Canada. They sell them pre-washed and take special care to ensure their consistent size so consumers can cook them in just under five minutes and i will attest to that because my wife and i just had the uh your creamer potatoes the other night we love them we get them every week at the grocery store and they are easy to cook so (laughs)
1: good i'm glad to hear that thank you and That's joining
0: awesome. me today is Angela Santiago, CEO and co-founder of the Little Potato Company to talk about her journey and her company. Welcome to the podcast, Angela.
1: Oh, thank you very, very much. I'm very glad to be here.
0: We're happy to have you now to kick things start. Can you walk me through the journey about how mm-hmm. you started the Little Potato Company?
1: Oh,, um, so there's many versions of this. They're all along the same line. There's obviously short stories and essays to it. Um, so what's interesting is, uh, and it's twenty five years old that we are, so we're celebrating twenty five years this year. and we I started it with my father. And um, what's interesting about uh, sort of the the start of it was um, my dad is a serial entrepreneur and even at the age of 70, um, he is still trying to start things and I love that about him. So this business idea came uh, just as I was finishing up my BA at, at University of Alberta and um, I was studying political science and history. And so clearly I was gonna get into potatoes. Um, so he uh, he had this idea that i think was spurred from a childhood memory but in particular it came out of a conversation in a little cafe outside of uh, west edmonton when he overheard um a couple of gentlemen just talking in his native language which is frisian which is a dialect and a language in holland from a very specific province and it's it's a language that's maybe spoken by a few million people in the world so it i mean The stars were aligning that day and he overheard these gentlemen talking about little potatoes of their youth and so my dad left that cafe with an idea to grow little potatoes so he rushed home came to me says I got a great idea let's do it together and I was like. "Uh, um, I'll get it started with you and I'll help you and um, I uh, well obviously 25 years later I did not go and do anything else with my degree other than (laughs) get into the potato business. I love it. Um, I love being in agriculture. I think it's a very humbling and serving industry. I love being in the industry that um, makes good food for people. Um, I feel good about when I wake up in the morning and what we're doing as a company is actually doing something good for people, and that is creating healthy, good food. And so, yeah, I, I hope to celebrate another 25 years with the company.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So would you say the healthy food aspect and celebrating good food, would that be the main goal of your so, company?
1: Yeah, we've, we. What our purpose is very clearly articulated in save the potato and feed the world better. And the first part is just about the general consumption of potatoes over the last, you know, 15, 20 years has been on slow decline. And part of that is, has been, I think, an industry that's been slow to respond to what consumers are looking for. We're not looking for a 10 pound bag of big, big potatoes anymore. Um, So like your example at the beginning, right? Hey, we love potatoes, but I mean, we're not going to peel a 10 pound bag. And so part of that, our purpose, Save the Potato, is to bring the potato back onto the plates of, of consumers and have it as a regular part of their meal. Feed the World Better is that purpose that I talked about earlier about creating great food for people. So matching healthy with convenience. And so that's probably what gets most of us out of the bed in the morning um, and, and and going to work. So, yeah.
0: And so you said your father started the company and you joined in. And so you know, one of the core values you have is the importance of family. Can you explain a little further and how this has really helped shape and, and grown your company?
1: So, uh, I'll maybe first answer that from an internal perspective and a family perspective, and then maybe try and answer that for people that have joined the company subsequent to that. For sure, there is a level of um, or a sense of grounding, without a doubt, when you work in uh, a business and a company with family. Um, There's always this uh, sense of perspective and what's really important. I have two younger brothers and, uh, you know, four kids and a husband that um, definitely keep me grounded and, and always remind me of what's really important. And so a family business does that in spades. I think what is attractive to people from the outside is a sense of warmth and that we understand the role that families play in people's lives. And we believe in balance, and we believe and its work. Trust me, I'm a workaholic, so I know I have to work at it. But we believe that uh, your strength comes from that. And in order to uh, have a healthy, um, well-rounded employee, you need balance. And so I think the importance of family plays out in people's lives that way as well, in particular in our employees. And I think they feel it. And and I think there's a second part of that is when they come to work, they feel like they're coming to another family.
0: And it's interesting you bring up family, the the culture of making it feel like family, because also a family business, sometimes you do hear the difficulties and the challenges, right, when you're running it as a family. I mean, were there, were there some of those challenges as you were starting up this uh, journey and building the company?
1: Oh, many. I have quit many times. (laughs) as Probably as my dad. That's it. I've had it. Um, So yeah, that that is the other side. Um, The the other thing that you have to get good at, and by no means are we perfect, but putting boundaries around it. So at the very beginning, our family meals, family get togethers would be um, overwhelmed by business talk. And so we really had to get better. And it particular as more family got involved in the business it got worse so then the people that were not involved day to day in the business kind of got well isn't there other things in our lives worth talking about so that's a downfall also of having a family business you have to get way better at putting some guardrails and and parameters around when you will talk about business and yeah you're often way too comfortable with your family about opinions and And openly arguing and disagreeing about stuff, but if you have a really good sense of trust between each other, and I think in our particular family, a strong sense of values, we may disagree on how we go about business, but we never disagreed on the fundamental values of how we wanted to do business and how we wanted to treat people. Okay,
0: so let's park the challenges with family aside. Uh, let's put the entrepreneurial hat, the, the company operator hat on. Hmm. Uh, were there some challenging situations, I guess, when you first started out?
1: Oh, plenty. Um, so obviously, in the beginning and, and as of recent, five to six years ago, as we entered the U.S., growth, in particular high growth and expansion, stretches your bank account. So there's, you have those uh, ebbs and flows of where um, you're really uh, stretching the financial wherewithal of the company. There's definitely, which I find exciting, but it's also can be very scary, is uh, stretching your own abilities and your capabilities. I, I've not been the CEO of a company this big. And so I'm continuously learning how to stretch myself and learn more. When we first got in, we were very much discounted. Uh, as an idea, a business idea. And and on top of that was an industry that had been very male dominated and still is to this extent. There was a lot of discount that I had to deal with being a a woman leader and a woman CEO of of a company in this industry. So, um, and then just, you know, the things of gaining great customers and losing great customers. And that's always difficult and I don't think that ever goes away. I think the other thing that continuously I wouldn't say it's difficult, but it takes a lot of work. And that is maintaining the culture. It, uh, you have to be as intentful and planned about it as you would a budget. And we often just think, well, it'll just happen. And that's the problem. It will happen without you, if you don't guide it and mold it. Mm -hmm. And as we got bigger and had more employees. There was much more concerted effort that we had to put in, um, making sure that we molded it into a a culture that is what we wanted and maintaining the values of the company.
0: Now, I'm assuming there are competitors in your space, but would you say your culture has been one of the big differentiators to your competitors? Or what's kind of the secret Mm -hmm. sauce for you guys in terms of differentiating and not to downplay like a potato is a potato, but... You know, how do you how do you stand out from the crowd?
1: Uh, in the beginning, I, I and I love being the underdog. I always root for the underdog and we were the underdog for, you know, at least 10, 15 years. And that was a differentiator out of the get go is that we were very different. Nobody else was doing small potatoes. And as competitors have come into the the category, which I mean, is what we wanted in the end, because it means that the category is growing and that consumers are wanting that. So on one hand, you're like, darn it. But on the other hand, it's it's uh it's a kudos to the category. So I think one for sure you touched on is culture and I think how we embrace and how we support and care for our employees. Absolutely. I think that our purpose and our values are so front and center is something that a lot of people say it's why I wanted to join your company and it's the reason why I'm staying. I think the other thing that's different for us is our proprietary variety. So uh, about the same time we started our company, we also started a breeding program. And so we have uh, varieties from the Netherlands, Canada, and um, South America that are uniquely bred, not GMO, they're all naturally bred, that are unique to us and unique to being a small potato. And so we breed for nutrition and taste and agronomic things. And that that's another big differentiator, because for the consumer, uh, a taste and experience that is different from our competitors.
0: Yes. And I again will attest to that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's look at you from uh, more of a expert in the agribusiness sector for a second here. And uh, let's take out the crystal ball and and, uh, get your take on the agriculture sector, and maybe you can take it from like an Alberta standpoint or a Canadian standpoint, or maybe it's a North America wide, but you know, what trends are you seeing when it comes to the ag sector, especially in the agri-food sector?
1: So i mentioned earlier, health absolutely is still, um, I would say top three, four. We are all looking at what we eat and how we eat uh, differently. And so that's always, I think, number one. Uh, Yet at the same time, we're not willing to spend hours in the kitchen cooking. And so married with convenience is, I would say, the second one. The the other thing is, I think we're getting more fun and playful and experimental with our food. And a lot of that is um, the diversity that we see in our own home and in our friends is that we we really actually want to try a lot of different foods and flavors. And so that would be, I think, another trend. The whole thing about local or safety, I think that's all about the further distance we get away from the farm. It's our way of trying to attach and understand where our food comes from. So it comes out in, I want to buy local or I want to buy organic. But the whole element of of having more of an emotional connection to your food and understanding how it was grown, who grew it, um, I think is another big underlying trend in ag.
0: Since I started this podcast series, and we've since we've launched the Egg Tech Pitch Competition, one thing I've learned is that the Egg Tech sector too is becoming a huge component to agriculture as a whole. From a technology standpoint, is there any insights there that you can see that technology is playing a big role in what I would say is once a very traditional sector?
1: Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of us have this vision of um, maybe what a grower or a farm looked like 20, 25 years ago. But if, if a lot of us stepped on a farm right now, you'd be surprised at, at at how much technology. I mean, self self-propelling, self-guiding harvesters. Um, all of it's you know GPS, so you get perfect rows. Um, there's a lot of technology now in predicting yield based on what you're harvesting live. So there's a lot of stuff, and even including in our plant, a lot more automation available with respect to being able to visually grade potatoes without, you know, it's all machine done. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that's happened in ag in the last 15, 20 years that, you know, we don't see because we, how often do any of us go to a farm anymore? But right. Um, right. it's super exciting because I think what's happening and we're seeing it even in mm. our own business is that, And that's the I think the positive part about all of that is that we're able to get better food, more food off of every acre than we did 10, 15 years ago. And we see that only improving. Um, And so part of that role is genetics, but also is the technology that you're referring to is that we're going to be able to get better and more food um, off of the same piece of land than we did 25 years ago. And that's super exciting.
0: You started with yourself and, and your dad. Uh, how many employees do you have now?
1: Approximately? Uh, about 430. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And they're spread across um, three packing facilities, but in particular, one, one here in Edmonton. And then we have our US plant in just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. And then we have a lovely working relationship with a family out of Prince Edward Island, where they co-pack for us. And then in Uh, In between all of that, we've got sales and and our agriculture team and our marketing team that's kind of spread out between countries.
0: So quite the growth. What are the plans for the next five years?
1: Oh, well, um, like I said, uh, the category has so much room to grow. And... um, What's been wonderful about this journey is that we don't have to teach people what potatoes are. It's not a new category. So a lot of people are either familiar or find potatoes a comfort food and just are not willing to do the 10 or five pound bag anymore. So there is a tremendous amount of growth just with getting more people to eat small potatoes and the U.S. And the U.S., we've only been in about six years. And um, so there's so much growth there that's available for us. Obviously, we're looking at outside of Canada and US, um, so Australia, possibly Europe, we're looking at more new, healthy, convenient products, Um, so taking our potatoes and making them even more convenient for people, and of course, all the new varieties that we have up and coming, the the all red and ones with blue and purple flesh and all that kind of stuff, so there's super exciting varieties coming our way too. Yeah.
0: So lots on the horizon, like yeah. more growth, more growth. Yeah. That's great to hear.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time today, Angela, and taking the time to share your story and your insights about not only the ag sector, but you know, the company, it's always great to learn more about, oh, uh, you know, great things that uh, entrepreneurs are doing in Canada.
1: Thank you. I, I, I love talking about food and ag and in particular potatoes. So I, I thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Uh, A link to The Little Potato Company can be found in the podcast description. Thanks everyone for taking the time to join us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to. And don't forget to add your email to our Denton's contact list so you can be notified anytime we have new content. Take care and we will catch you in the next episode.